I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. And I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about The Winds of Dune. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, this, is, this book takes place between Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Uh, it follows... Jessica, Lady Jessica, mostly, and uh, as well as Alia and Irulan, and kind of the aftermath immediately following Paul walking out into the desert. Right. Uh, so, yeah. It's set up very similar to Paul Dune as far as we have uh, a, a main story, then we have a flashback story that's kind of told, and that's, and that's uh, told by Jessica, and then... And this kind of frames out both the current story and gives us history to that story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, As far as uh, what's going on here, we're basically seeing, uh, you know, they're dealing with the aftermath and the funerals for Paul and Cheney as uh, well as, you know, how to govern over the the, uh, empire uh, and dealing with uh, Bronzo of Ix, who is a, Stirring up trouble. Stirring up trouble. Now, Bronzo was mentioned at the very beginning of Dune Messiah in the... Uh, and then wasn't mentioned yeah. again the rest of the book, the rest right? The book, yes. right. Yeah. So now we get the full story. The full story. So that's basically uh, what the Winds of Dune is about. Yeah, I feel like we're saying, this is like Paul Harvey's take on it. And now, the rest of the story, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> Jim's surprised I knew who Paul Harvey is, but... <laughs> <laughs> Shock and awe. <laughs> oh. So, and I guess for people that haven't read it in a while, you are going to supply another Dune in 10? Uh, of course, there will be a Dune in 10 coinciding with the release of this episode, where you can find the description of this book in roughly 10 minutes. Yeah. And Roland's already expressing in the chat room uh, how much he absolutely loved this book. It was yeah. his favorite book in the Dune series. That's so. what I heard him say better than... Uh, any of Frank Herbert's. Yeah, work. I said better than Dune itself. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roland, just so you know, we're going to be sending hate mail your way. So uh, just be prepared. His email address is <laughs> rolandsmoker at uh, rolandsmoker.com. Yeah. I hope he doesn't own that domain. <laughs> he will get hate mail. I'm just making it up. So, <laughs> And he's not saying that, by the way. Uh, well, let's. Why don't we jump into here? Overall impressions of this book. And Jim, can I put you on the spot? Can you share uh, with us your overall impression and thoughts of this book? Well, overall, first thing was is I don't think I enjoyed this as much as the others. Uh, however, I'm not going to discount it and say it was a bad book. Um, 
it was it was interesting in a lot of different ways. Um, there was a big reveal in here, uh, little plots going on, uh, people backstabbing each other. Uh, it was interesting, but but not one of the favorites. Yeah. How about you, David? Man, I I am going to push buttons. I really enjoyed this book a lot. Uh, I feel like this book does a better job of being an immediate sequel than Dune Messiah does to being an immediate sequel of uh, Dune. We're high-fiving here for those of you that are listening to the podcast because, David, I agree with you. Um Dune Messiah, for what it was, for investigating kind of the political uh, backstory and it fills in, you know, how Paul lost his sight. And we get, of course, obviously the twins being born and Ch- there's a lot of story in Dune Messiah that's mm-hmm. needed. But I enjoyed I enjoyed personally Winds of Dune much better than Dune Messiah. And I liked it better than Paula Dune, I think. Yeah. For, I, for, I, for I, me. So as far as for the second book. Kind of in this, uh, what do they call these books? The Heroes, Hero, of Hero, Heroes of Dune. This was my, this is my favorite of those books thus far. We still, do we still have one left? No, this is the last one. This is the last one so far. Yeah. So far. Yeah. So far. There's yeah. supposedly going to be another one called Throne of Dune that takes place between Children of Dune and God Emperor. Yeah, we'll just spend, we'll wait. Whenever. Yeah, yeah. Whenever it comes out. Whenever that comes out. Brian will have to let us know. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so my overall impression, I, I liked it. It was a good story. Initially, when I got into it, when I first got into it, I said, oh, my gosh, here we go again. Current story, backstory, and it kind of bothered me a little bit. This whole current story, backstory, you know, I think the last time we talked, we said, um, especially in Paul Dune, that these two stories felt like they could have almost been their own novellas. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, there's a, there's much more of a linkage between the current story and backstory for me yeah. that made it seems much more relevant because what they do is they pull back the curtain of this Bronzo act and we find out the history of Paul and Bronzo and then you bring it up to the current and the inevitable fate of Bronzo, um, almost the ironic fate of Bronzo, I want to say, that really takes place here. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that the flashback works so much better because – it really is, I mean, it's Jessica telling the story of both times that we flash back. So there's a reason, they set up a reason for her to tell us. And then about midway or three quarters of the way through both of the um, flashbacks, there's an interlude chapter where it goes back to what what I'll call current time uh, and uh to Jessica talking to whoever she's having the conversation with and her reiterating why this is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, cause even those characters are kind of like, why are you telling us this, this information? Because I mean, honestly, she takes a while to get to the point. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, she's yeah. telling, she's making sure that they understand the full breadth of the story. Yeah. And like when they fly out to the desert and land, the what they, uh, I thought they're on a thopter there. And, uh, you know, they, they're telling a complete story. Actually, they tell two, the story in two parts. She tells the first part at one time and then one the second part at another time. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Jim, any thoughts on this as we have our diatribe over here? Um, I thought the flashback scenes were, were pretty well done. Um, I didn't enjoy those as much. I, I did not really 
enjoy the uh, story where they're where Paul and Bronzo are running away. That kind of thing. I mean, how could they do that and get away with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I felt that it was it worked. I mean, when you think about like the stuff that ha- I mean, if we're if we're talking. Uh, Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson books. You think back to like when Leto and Romber were doing their thing on on X, and, right? And like undercover and stuff. Like I get that. Like you saw the same kind of like Romber knew all these back passages and stuff just because he was the son of the Earl. Uh, and I think that I think that we could expect the same thing from Bronzo, right? You know, it doesn't. I, I guess for me, uh, as far as believability goes, I mean. There, I mean, X is in a time of crisis. The crisis, the people, the technocrats, whatever they call them, um, are are kind of at war with Bronzo. Bronzo's just lost his wife. There's he, he's revealed this terrible thing to Romber. Uh, Romber, sorry, Romber's just lost his wife, and then Bronzo has just had this terrible thing revealed to him that he's not really his father's son, and emotions are high, and he runs off and. There's a lot of chaos going on that in that in that time, I think it is believable to me that um, they could sneak aboard a Highliner and and take off like that, that that there's that that much heat upheaval at that time that it that them getting off planet at least is believable. Yeah, I mean, think of all the stories that we've seen so far. How many times has someone snuck onto a Highliner? It's like almost every book. That that some at least one person's like, I stuck aboard the Highliner to get. Well, and especially what Gurney Hallett, you know how he sneaks on, he puts yeah. himself in a little container, and psh, there he is. Yeah, or I mean, well, it's a different level, but Fenring did that as well. Oh yeah, well he's Fenring. Yeah, he, he, it's he, can, do, he can do anything. It's a different world, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so he's, he's he's Fenring, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Jim, why don't you take us into uh, some of the uh, characters that we have in this story that we can maybe talk about? Okay. Uh, we have a lot of characters here, and in my mind, I would call this probably more, instead of Winds of Dune, I would call it more the Women of Dune, <laughs> because it it really does settle, it really does center around the women and uh, so we have Jessica, and what what do you guys have to say about her? Uh, I want to comment, first of all, about this whole women of Dune. It is a very, I mean, I think Frank Herbert's books in the past, and again, this isn't Frank Herbert. We know it's Kevin Janderson and uh, Brian Herbert, but many times we talked about it being very male-centric. But here we do have a lot of focus on the women. Yeah. Um, yes. And I... Uh, I think along with that, when we're talking about Jessica, this book, for those of you that are listening may not know this, was originally called Jessica of Dune, and they changed it to Winds of Dune. And I almost like that title better because when I think of this book, I don't think of this as being the story of Jessica, really. I mean, she is the storyteller. She's central, but she's not the only main character in this one. Yeah. I got to say, like last episode, I was saying it was the story of Irulan. And I was wrong. It's, I mean, obviously, yeah. it's the story of Jessica. Right. Uh, but that being said, what do Jim asked, what do you think of Jessica? What do I think of Jessica? Okay, so she's, I like that we see her hardening towards Paul 
and why. And then you also see, you also get a chance to see like why she didn't totally go against it. Cause this is in the past, right? Yeah. Cause, cause I mean, uh, even in books to come, like you get that, like she kind of turned her back on the empire in general. And you're like, well, how could, what could have brought her after the events of Dune where she is becomes Fremen to completely leave, you know? So, um, I, I liked the growth in the character that we saw. At the same time, she seems like a different kind of strong in this. I mean, more of a, a leadership role rather than a support to the leadership role. So, Well, and she almost can't be a leader because uh, Aaliyah doesn't really welcome her. Welcome her guidance right at least not in my interpretation doesn't welcome the guidance but we see her leading on caliban yeah we do absolutely and that's kind of that that is kind of cool yeah jim what do you think of jess you know first name I, is jess <laughs> <laughs> i agree she was she had a lot of development here she was a very strong character uh as duchess of caladan uh still a little flawed uh you know, allowing the pilgrims to come to the planet, uh, to Caladan, and make uh, mischief there. Uh, I would have liked to have seen her deal with that herself a little more than she did. Um, the way she turned her back on the sisterhood, uh, incredible. That was that was really neat. Yeah, it was. That was awesome. And, and put them in their place. Yeah. I mean, we may get to this in scenes, but one of the, one of my most one of the most powerful scenes of Jessica with me is when she takes out the ten leaders of the rebellion. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and she poisons them. You're like, man, she has the cojones to do this, you know? Yeah. And yeah. you're like, there's almost a little bit of fear and awe that she has what it takes to get the job done. If yep. She needs to. And did you see? I the thought first? the. I Go thought ahead. the same thing, uh, but I, you know, I I think poison was the wrong way to go. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I I really think that her decision to do this was the right decision. It's it, it brings to maybe this is a little bit out of context, but you know the whole Star Trek phrase, uh, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and these few were disposable for the greater good. And you and really see that here. She she took a, uh, I mean, she gave them a fairly tame poison from the description. Like, it wasn't like they suffered much. They just kind of fell asleep, started acting drunk, and then fell asleep. Uh, but I, I was going to say before, I mean, what you see in her, the way that she deals with this situation is a stark, stark contract to Alia. Where Alia would just be like, they deserved it. Job's done. And like total hard ass. Jessica, even when she's talking to Gurney, begins to lose her composure over the fact that she had to kill these 10 people and then has to like go and seclude herself because of the, the weight. Certainly not an easy decision for her. You don't get in any way that this was a, a trite thing or a, or a flippant thing for her. I mean, she really right. felt this. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then next we have Irulan. 
I think we see <laughs> my silence tells me, <laughs> you know, Irulan, right? Well, we get we get more of you can see more of the love for Paul and from her in the story. Yeah, you know, and uh, a bit more of the struggle for the right to take care of Paul's children, right? Which plays into, I believe, the next book a bit more. Yeah, because uh, as far as who is guardianship of the children and yeah, um, yeah, your 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 line. I probably the biggest thing with her is when they actually uh, her and um, Cheney go back to the planet with Saddam, uh, Shaddam and Emperor Shaddam, and, and that whole scene when they're out when they're about out terraforming the planet or doing whatever they're doing to the yeah. planet. Um, that's a fairly powerful scene, but. I don't right. know. It's, uh, she just didn't. She wasn't for me central. No, I, I mean she was. She was a plot tool. She in, was in this, to tell the story. In yeah. the story, very much, very much so. That's it. You heard yeah. it. David said she's a tool. Go ahead. <laughs> I, <laughs> exactly. I'll tell exactly. you what. I I think that she was a really confused person though in this book, uh, not knowing which way to turn. Uh, you know, her father is pushing to get back his rulership. Uh, she wants to be loyal to Paul's memory. She had better be loyal to Alia, and uh, apparent and has a lot of a lot of good feelings for Jessica. Also, this this character was really torn up. I uh, know. I, I agree. Very conflicted. Well, you get you do see how alone she is, though. I mean, Ollie is no longer her companion because she fears for her life. You know, she can't go to her father because she doesn't believe in him and his regime anymore. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like all that she has is Jessica. But then, you know, like she says at the end of the book, she's like, you know, Alia is also her daughter. So that's a, a thin line to walk. Plus, who could ever trust the communication between the two of them? It's probably monitored. So, it- well, I, I think Irulan just wants to be useful. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, she was wasn't allowed to have uh, Paul's children. She loved him. I mean, she wants to be able to take care of them. If she can't do that, she wants to do something else in Paul's name. And she's still the quote unquote biographer, right? Sort of. Yeah. She and exactly. She wants to do something other than write lies. Right. 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 I think. She's, or she's grown maybe tired. not lies. Maybe I should say exaggerations. Right. Yeah, that's okay. Aaliyah can take over writing them. <laughs> um, well, let's talk. What about what, so, about what about Gurney? Let's talk about Gurney a little bit. I was going to lump Gurney and Duncan together. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, that's an interesting one because we see Gurney uh, becoming more and more steadfast, the Atreides man, while Duncan becoming more and more. The Empire, this man, right? A man of the Empire, and um, and the conflicts that that brings between the two of them. Where in the past they wouldn't have questioned whose loyalties were where. Gurney comes to get to the point where he's almost working against Duncan. 
Yeah. Well, he does. And it, I mean, nothing brings that into uh, uh, starkle contrast in the arrest of Jessica. Oh, not the, the arrest of Bronzo right. on the roof with Jessica there and her doing what she can, him doing what she can to get Jessica out of the situation. And mm-hmm. Duncan realizing it, who it is and their friendship being brought into stark contrast. And that's really kind of the division between the two. Right. I, I got to say, all during that time, I was thinking, how is Gertie pulling this over? Duncan said, I mean, he's a freaking mentat. Sufer would have never let this, he would have picked up on this, like, deceit. Well, Duncan, right away. Duncan, Duncan, what did see it? Yeah, yeah, which I'm glad that they finally said. If it would have gone that he hadn't seen it, like, it would act like, like it was a whole new surprise, I would have been irritated. No, that would have been. Duncan, go ahead. Duncan just kept quiet until, until he had enough evidence. Right. Right, right, uh, and but really, what, and, and I and I think really what Gurney does is calls us into questions Duncan's loyalty through this whole thing. Yeah, and I think that's what makes that an interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Now you know something that that kind of eluded me, and I don't know. Maybe one of you guys can fill me in here. As far as Gurney's concerned, I could not understand where. The dogs fit in, you know, his hunting dogs. Uh, that well, it was an it, it was a way of showing why he understood, um, both Jessica and in a way why Jessica then understood Paul, and that whole the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the the few type thing. Cause his whole thing with the dogs was like, they established he had these dogs and he was refusing to get close to them because, and he, he said, because he had a, a brood of dogs that he had to put down. And then they told the story of the dogs that he put down and how, you know, he saw one was causing a problem, but he didn't take the action to, to pull it away. And the infection spread and spread and spread until he lost his beloved animals. And then, you know, Jessica was able to call upon that experience when she had to explain how she killed these 10 leaders. But, you know, if I don't, if I don't cut them out, then the infection continues to spread from not just the other Caledonian people, but from planet to planet. Right. Uh, and then in a way for us as a reader, you get on a larger scale, Paul sterilizing 11 planets to save thousands of planets. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that I think that that's probably uh, my take on it, Jim. Too. I don't know if that's a uh, maybe. Listeners have their own thoughts about the purpose of the dogs. Yeah, but I remember I was out on a run when they when they had to put it down, and he just I knew I knew when there was one left that he was going to lose that one too. You yeah, it's one of those heart wrenching things. But. I can't yeah. handle when dogs animals get yeah. put down like that. Yeah, and even Roland saying if they would have put this, that first sick dog down right away, the others wouldn't have been lost and. I think that's what Jesse, Jessica is putting down this, the first sick dog so the rest don't you, get sick. How well do you know her? I mean, went from Jessica? Yeah, to, Jess, Jess, to Jesse. To yeah. Jesse? Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> Jessica and I, we're, we're tight, yo. <laughs> those, those green eyes get me every time. So, yeah. yeah. What about Alia? Man, you Becoming, see a chain. You see her hearkening back to well, hearkening. <laughs> you see her <laughs> intended. <laughs> you, try that. Uh, you see her like hearkening back to uh, her ways in Dune because she was very like 
disturbingly weird and and bad in in like in Dune, and you see her kind of as a young woman in Dune Messiah, and now we really see her like she's put in charge, and she falls right back onto that like very black and white outlook on things. Yeah, overdosing on the spice and you know, that yeah. whole thing, and it's just a but well, she, she's definitely taking herself very seriously. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Her story to me is 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 again kind of secondary. I mean, she becomes very obsessed with Bronzo uh through the uh the capture of Bronzo um and and uh, you know, even writes that false document that he didn't write and, and uh you know, and has Bronzo put to death and I guess I guess significant too is the marriage to Duncan yeah. Yeah, that takes place, which is kind of interesting. But she wasn't. I wasn't really. I didn't really care for her storyline per se. Personally, didn't well, do much was, for her. She, as much of anything was, she was the antagonist of the story. Yeah. She wasn't like the bad. She wasn't a bad guy, but in a way, she was the bad guy of the story. Yeah, well, she, was, she she was the con. Uh, she was she was con. She was obsessed. Yeah, with putting a stop to Bronzo. And I think this is a glimpse to see some of the sickness in Alia. This obsessive, yeah, uh, this thing that she's got to get this. She's got like whatever it is she's hooked on. She will go to any lengths to solve it, even though it's not the big picture, right? You know. Which well, you for see crying out loud the way she put Bronzo to death. I mean, that was just absolutely out of line and totally inhumane. Yeah. Now, see, I was, this is something that I was surprised that they made such a big deal as. But I think it's just because I love the Children of Dune movie so much that in my mind, I just saw this as something that happened because maybe they do mention it in later books. I don't remember. But in the part of Children of Dune that covers. Dune Messiah, this is that's how Corba's put to death. He gets he. They, it's, it's not like a public display, but they throw him in a in a death still while he's alive, and they take his water. Now is it though? Is that is it that way in Dune Messiah the book? No, in Dune Messiah the book, they just say he got killed. Right. Stilgar. Right. Uh, well, not, well, I think Stilgar. Ali has yeah. him killed. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we come to Stilgar. Yeah, we do have Stilgar. They were we building him up to be like a big thing, and then he just kind of faded into and the background. Well, he becomes a bigger thing, I think, in the next book. But yeah, but I mean, they, like they they were spending a lot of time on him, and it just kind of like it was almost more of a reminder. Yeah, Stilgar is still here. Yeah, like type he's thing. not. Yeah, it didn't do much for me in this book. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't seem very swayed by either policy or religion in this. He's just kind of. Yeah, what what, what, what do you think, Jim? He seems to me to be weary, just wore out. Yeah, I would agree with that. But who isn't weary of the jihad by this point? Well, the jihad's over. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, sort of. But the aftermath is still going on, right? Yeah, you know, he uh, he was he was being sent to places that he did not want to be, uh, worlds that were filled with water environments that he was just all he wanted to do was be in the desert and when he finally did decide to go out ride a worm back to the siege he finds that the place is under siege from 
worshipers and so forth and so on and it's it he's just had enough isn't he the one that discovers the thumpers that were placed by the wall yeah it's uh, him that him, him and his crew yeah, yeah. He's so the he one almost who, who he almost discovers the uh the water trap missing when he rides the worm back that's right yeah yeah I mean, so they they do write him in to play some some important parts into the story yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel he's very much like Gurney was in Paul, was it Paul of Dune, where Gurney gave up on the jihad. Yes, yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, he so did Stilgar in that book, but more so, Gurney was worn out. Yeah, and I think that that it's like Stilgar's really just wearing out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then we got. Next in line, Bronzo himself. I, okay. I love Bronzo's story because of several things. Because I always wanted to know what was up with Ix. Because Ix becomes this, like, planet that that they... It's not a bad planet, but everyone's like, oh, they they, they make too much technology. Their technology is too close to, to the borders of things. But you never really understand why... Ix isn't part of the Lancerad and all this and stuff. All, I, like even in the later Herbert books, like it's just not like explained. And then you see these things in the Herbert or the, the Frank books where he's, you know, he has Bronzo at the beginning. So, you know, Ix was, was something. And then we have our, our prequel books where they build up Ix to be this great place. And then it's just like, boom, we don't actually get a look into why it fell until this book. So this, so this pulls back the curtain for you. Yeah. This is like all the, all the things that I was really, curious about what happened and uh, you know more so even from the house books uh was kind of explained for me and i found that really exciting his story both both the past to know the connection between him and paul um that kind of intermediary story the the interlude story that happens kind of halfway between when paul's still alive but it's not really the past um, and he's, you know, decimating or that, that's not decimating, but, you know, disseminating all these, um, yeah. the, the, the literature and stuff. And he begins that process. Um, you know, we get that story and that's kind of fascinating. And then the story, the current story of, you know, him continuing to work with the jongleurs. Um, and, and then of course his death. And, um, I mean, some of my favorite scenes and we are, I guess we'll, I guess we'll get into the scenes here in just a little bit, but some of my favorite scenes were, was revolve around the time with, uh, Bronzo Vix. I think of especially, you know, when they're on and, and Aaliyah's convinced that she has the right one and she's gotten a jungle, one of the junglers. It's not really yeah. him. Um, and then even at the end when he's dying and they gag him, they won't let him speak and a jungler steps out. You know, looking exactly like him and recites it. Yeah. You know, recites kind of his last will and testament. It's just some phenomenal, moving scenes uh, with him as being Paul's counterpart. His, his, uh, what do they call it? A doppelganger? Not really a doppelganger, but something like that. Yeah. But thoughts, Jim. Uh, I was very sad for Bronzo for a while. Uh, and then a little angry with him, and then I again I felt very bad for for his ending. Yeah, the the way the way that he was uh, 
put into the position to do what he was doing, and he was doing a great job of it, And but he got no thanks for it. He got hunted. Yeah. It's got to be a horrible existence. Yeah, I was talking with David before the show when we were trying to get you on, Jim. Uh, but, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, one of the ironies of Bronzo and Paul is that Paul brought Bronzo in. I mean, first of all, we had this code of honor between the two that has existed from when they were kids, right? And this is happening, you know, that's, that's kind of the first story when they were the youngest. And then, then Paul brings in Bronzo for the purpose of destroying this Messiah complex that's been built around Paul. And and in the process of it, the one of the ironies is is that when Bronzo dies, in in a sense, his literature lives on and and continues to rise in power because of the people because uh, it resonates with the people. And there's just something it's almost like in a say there's almost a little bit of a uh, role reversal. He's not the Messiah, but in a way he's this under the underdog Messiah of the uh, of the story. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I like that we saw through Bronzo we saw Paul working against himself. Mm. Which is one of those things that you hear in in Dune Paul's talking about how, you know, he sees this coming and he's going to have to make sure he doesn't get out. How is he going to control himself and uh, keep himself from getting too big? And then the way that we read it, of course, you see Paul of Dune and you see him struggling with it. But you never really see him doing much more than just like sulking. Right. About the fact that, oh, you know, this is becoming me. And then we see Dune Messiah and you you get a glance of Paul defeated. By his efforts, but you never actually really see his efforts, uh, you know, like what they were. Like, what did he really do other than just like trying to not let the jihad spread to too many planets or whatever? You know, and one of the things for me that's fascinating is I remember thinking as I was reading the book, okay, way back, the back Bronzo and Paul on X and everything that happens there and then with the jonglers, I remember thinking, okay, we have it there. And then when we got to the interlude, kind of the halfway point, Jessica's in Caladan, and you hear the reports coming out of the jihad, like what's going on with the jihad and and how Jessica's kind of reacting to it, and then the sisterhood, and then she makes this, comes to the decision that I have got to kill my son. She comes to that resolution and then encounters Bronzo, who uh, and, and the introduces for the first time in that interlude, Paul walks out. Yeah. Uh, that that scene between the three of them is probably one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Because she is this close to killing him and he knows it. Yeah. And it's just the way it plays out and the way he kind of pulls back the veil as to what he's trying to do, he gains her support and it's just awesome. That's my favorite it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole book. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I know we aren't talking scenes yet, but I just had to share that one. <laughs> <laughs> Bronzo, sorry. On my bronzo soapbox. We'll show you. Come, we find the end of Gaius Helen Mohayim. We do. Yeah, I mean, we knew her of her death before, but I mean, because it happened to do Messiah, but right. But I mean, yes, you see more of the evil behind her. Yeah, I like Jessica's act of dumping her water on the floor. You know. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, and they introduced this whole new, through Mahayan, they introduced this whole guilt, what they call it? Guilt casting? Mm, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that whole story of, of Bronzo's mother, mm-hmm. and uh, I felt bad. Out. I felt bad. And then they tried they tried that on um, Fendering's wife. They try it on, and she resists it. Well, she's gonna, she's failing, but then of course Fenring is always watching her. Of so. course, I was surprised. <laughs> Actually, in that scene, I was thinking, "What's Fenring doing? He's close by. Why is he letting this happen?" Like yeah. I'm thinking, like he should have come in a little bit sooner. My impression, but yeah, I, I was ex- uh, I was expecting in that scene to have her be like, "Oh, really?" Uh, and then like give like a hand signal, and Fenring just like do something. Ta-da-da. Yeah, yeah. But she really let it get out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the way they sent her back, yeah, <laughs> just rolled her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like how they're, they're like, "Well, the sisterhood will have a smelly package when they open it." They will. It's kind of like shrink wrap her up and like yeah. let it let it go. Yeah, <laughs> obviously they didn't use Amazon's two day free shipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they intentionally took the slow route. Yeah. I think yeah. is what they did with it. Um, you know. We don't have a lot of other characters. I mean, there, there's Ensign, and he kind of plays as super. As, as, I guess is really nothing more than the message carrier of many kinds. And we have the jongleurs, yeah. which is kind of a cool to kind of see the jongleurs in action. And well, I think well, we see two two. We get two views that that, to my knowledge, we don't see really anywhere else in the Dune series. Here, we get to see the Waku uh-huh. and what like mm-hmm. their life is. And behind the scenes yeah. of what what makes these guild liners function? What right? Yeah, because in the other books they oh, they always just describe them as basically drug addicts. They've got their they've got the glasses on and the samutra playing, and they just kind of brainlessly do everything. And we get to see that they're like actually people right here. And then so we see the junglers, but 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 more than that, because the within the junglers is a group of face dancers mm. and we get a view of face dancers uninhibited and acting not not as a representative of um the thaloxu yeah, yeah definitely they're just like they're kind of their own thing their and, own thing yeah and very loyal to uh bronzo yeah yeah and the message that paul's trying to right you know, do so right I thought that was very interesting that it wasn't a Tlaxu thing. It was just that it gave you that idea that there are enough face dancers created by the Tlaxu that there are t- like hundreds of them that are are out in this universe that are not there for any purpose. Or they fulfilled their purpose and they're just out there. So let's talk about the jonglers a little bit. Let's Can we go into some scenes here? I think we're... We're far enough in. We can talk about some scenes. Yeah. Here. I want to before talk about. We move, before we move on, though, I think we need to talk about Shaddam. Oh. Oh, bringing up the Shaddam. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, it's, it's, he is trying to put something together here. And that was kind of fascinating to me how he was working this. And, and, you know, I could almost see him being successful. Was it me, or did it feel like they just kind of dropped that storyline? Well, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it ever is really finished to my satisfaction. They don't introduce it until the very end of the. It's not until the very end of the 
book. They're, they're like, oh yeah, Shaddam's got this army that he's building. And you're like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And then there's no closure. And I think I would wager that that has to do with the fact that they meant to make more of these heroes. So like the throne mm-hmm. of Dune or whatever. Like, yeah, oh, but I don't know how it would work because Shaddam's dead by then. Yeah, but it would, it would work in flashback scenes. Bingo. You would have yeah. to do it in flashback yeah. or like when that's happening, Paul's still alive. Is, is Paul still alive at that point? No, this is, this is like, uh, they're, they'd got the army and they're, they're, tr- it'd have to be done more like in an interlude scene, but after Paul has died and after, yeah, yeah so like, like a, a flashback to the time period that the main story takes yeah. part in this. Book. It does, it does feel like it's kind of a dropped thing to me, though. Yeah. Yeah, and it well to me it seemed more like uh, preview, right? Coming attractions. I, I'm looking forward to reading that book if it's, it if it ever gets made. Yeah, it's not written yet. So. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I know that. I, but it, if it ever is, I'm looking forward to that. One. <laughs> All right, <laughs> very good. All right, <laughs> you'll be your quote will be on the cover. Uh, I'm looking forward to this book. Yeah, no, that would be, be the quote. <laughs> the <Dune-talking podcast. laughs> but, all right, okay, I want to talk just a little bit about the jonglers and especially the scene where Romber dies. We didn't talk about Romber at all, but yeah. uh, his death scene is brutal. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, they, the resonance, uh, do we ever see, I was trying to think, do we ever see this cathedral or this, Art is this the same art hall where uh, Shaddam was almost killed before by a no, jungler troop, or that, that was, was a different? Oh, so it was a different place, different yeah, place, right? Is, I don't think we've ever been to this planet before. So, but this, this, the idea of them crystals that are lining up and this different resonances and them saving and then the death of Romber, it was just a, uh, it was number one, it's a tragic death, and initially. When they have it, because you don't know the full story, you're kind of appalled that Romber seems to be caring more about Paul. Yeah. Until you get Bronzo's take on it many years later. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that he wasn't asking about Paul specifically, but he was asking to make sure that Bronzo upheld his, his honor. His honor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I thought that was that was that was pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, what it, a sad, a, that's a brutal death. It is. It is. What a sad, sad moment. Yeah, it is. It he is. was. Who? Where in in the universe could you find a more loyal friend than Romber? Absolutely, absolutely. Like there was, there was, uh, there was definitely for House Vernies. He he was definitely a honorable, yeah, honorable man of that house. Well, he was. A, he yeah. was a great. Companion for Leto. I think that they both were very similar. Yes, characters. Right towards you know their adulthood. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Jim, how about for you? Do you have a scene that kind of sticks out for you? Oh well, that big reveal uh, that you talked about earlier, where Jessica was getting ready to uh, end Bronzo's existence, and Paul steps in. Now, I don't know, maybe some people would say that was a predictable thing or they saw it coming. Um, But that was was a huge uh, surprise to me. And for me, it was the best part of the book to find out that 
Bronzo was doing what he was doing, not because he was against Paul, but he was actually for Paul. And he was doing what Paul wanted him to do. And Paul, as we recall in the book before, said that he was sick of this being a god figure. He wanted, he just wanted to be human. And so that's what he recruited Bronzo to do for him was to write and remind everybody that he was indeed human. You know what? And what I like about that, Jim, is initially when we're introduced to Bronzo in this book as a young kid, and then this tragedy befalls his father, and he blames Paul, or he has his resentment toward Paul. At first, you think, well, he's writing all this crap about Paul because he's resentful of it. But then, you know, you know, Kevin and Brian, they just they twist in there, and suddenly you realize. Oh, well, it's not resentment at all. And it's exactly what you're saying, Jim. It, it, it's just beautifully built and we're beautifully led along to think one thing, but have something else happen. And suddenly, like the curtains pull back. And you're like, ah, yeah, you know, one of those things. And, and, and so I like that. I agree. Yeah. I was, I was expecting a huge furball between those two guys. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> they were so close. And then, then they had that, that parting of their ways. And I thought they were going to come back together as, you know, enemies. But that wasn't the case. It it, it was so cool. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. How about you, David? Do you have a favorite scene? Yeah. Uh, my favorite scene, and this is the scene that, like, I think completely won me over. I mean, I was already really enjoying the book. And I think this is the scene that kind of, like, sealed the deal for me for it. It's the interlude during the first flashback. Where Irulan questions why she's being told about uh, Bronzo and Paul's story with the junglers. And she's like, I already know about this. And it's, it's like one of the last lines that Jessica says at the end of the chapter. She's like, don't you get it? How do you think that Paul learned how to manipulate people? Right. And and I was like, oh, that is that totally makes sense of absolutely like yeah. he you know he learned how to he, who's better at manipulating someone than an actor you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah well and then of course the jonglers play into the current storyline which we see later on right but right. uh for us as we, we we understand that right. um yeah that was <laughs> that, i mean that and the scene that you, you guys were just talking about for me for you yeah I mean, mm-hmm. as far as other significant things that happen in the story that we should be talking about, Dr. Yui, we see how he comes into the service of House Atreides. Finally. Finally. I mean, we don't really get that story till now, and you're kind of wondering, you know, how did he end up here? And, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it makes sense now. Yeah, pretty much. Just a, he's kicked mm-hmm. off of Ix. Where yeah. else is he going to go? Yeah. So, and you see him and his wife interact. I think that's a... Yeah. It's a good scene. It's an interesting scene. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I mentioned it before, but the whole Jessica killing the leaders of the rebellion, that's kind of, you kind of understand that. I think um, going back to Mahayam, while I'm not a huge fan of of, of how Mahayam, when she manipulates the people of, was it Caladan, Mm -hmm. into rising up, was a really good scene. Yeah. Even though I didn't like it. I I thought it was well written and like, I was like, "Oh, you old witch, you!" <laughs> you know, that, yeah, you know, it was, it was it was real good. So yeah, but yep. 
Uh, any other any other points we really should talk about? I mean, we did talk about the death of Romber. That being, that's obviously a very powerful scene. The capture of Romber is powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting how Jessica kind of waltzes in after arriving back on Arrakis and and then frees frees uh, Irulan. Just yeah. kind of walks in and like defies, you know, you know, Aaliyah's orders, and but then somehow justifies it to Aaliyah. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a woman that clearly is powerful here. Yeah, so. well, I think I think it's funny though too when she when she releases her, she's like, "Hey, I got you out of prison, but Ollie could still kill you." So right. uh, enjoy yeah. the time you have. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't go anywhere far. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we'll see what happens. Right, right. right. Well, in, you know, and it, on that on that line, I really seriously believe that Jessica saw Irulan as the former empress under Paul, and that she deserved to be treated better than she was. Probably she had in mind to save face for Alia. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you just don't treat royalty this way. Right. No, I would agree with that. Right. But and the passcode to get into the prison was? It was t- 10 one, two, one or something Yeah, like his, his birthday, two. right? I thought it was his birthday or his year of birth. It was the it? year they came to Arrakis. Okay, year, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um well, uh, what do we have? We have themes, yeah, we have favorite quotes. Let's talk about these themes here. So, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. Um, Bronzo as a new messiah. Uh, a messiah for the people who uh, disbelieve in Paul. Yeah. And how that kind of, the kind of irony there. Yeah, there's a little bit of irony there. The, the It's kind of counter. He is... He's uh, he's kind of the messiah for reality, or trying to bring a reality to to bringing down the current regime. Yeah, in a way, I guess. And he understands the power of his death. Yeah, and the importance of it. Yeah. Uh, another another one to look here is uh, how he's humanizing a messiah. Yeah, you know, you know which is again Paul's idea, as we right. said. It's very mm-hmm. super important. Uh, for Paul. Yeah, absolutely. So, and we start, almost all of our characters struggle with honor. Yeah. To a certain degree. I mean, okay, so we see Gurney struggling with following Jessica with Alia and then Duncan in the reverse. I mean, I think a, a pretty poignant point is where Duncan blatantly says to Gurney, Alia is the Atreides. Right. And, and Duncan's like, well, what about Lady Jessica? I mean, Right. You gave your life for her at one time. How could she not be a, a Atreides to you? Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, any other thoughts on this? Just a lot of conflict there yeah. between everybody trying to uphold their honor and not knowing which direction is the right way to go. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, it's. When we talk about honor, honor is not the easy road. I mean, you look at just Romber, just look at Romber and Leto, look at uh, Bronzo and Paul. I mean, uh, the Ger- Gurney and Duncan and even Jessica. The, uh, what does it mean to be honorable to the sisterhood, to Paul, um, as a mother to a son, as a as a daughter of the sisterhood? I mean, there's a lot of struggles here with what it means to be trustworthy and honorable. But Yeah. 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 
Well, Jim, do you want to take us into uh, quotes here? Sure. Okay. Let's start with uh, David. What What were some of your favorite quotes? Okay. All right. I have the book in front of me, to which I will open for my three book. My three. Your three quotes. Three quotes. Uh, this one's by Alia uh, during her seventh month of Regency. Murder, the word, the very concept of the very concept itself is not in my lexicon. At least not as it can be applied to my imperial rule. If killings are needed, I order them. It's not a matter of legality or morality. It is one of the necessities of my position. And uh, I, I mean, right there, it just sums up kind of what I was saying earlier about the difference between her and Jessica. Mm-hmm. You know, Jessica, when she has to do it, Gurney's like, this is murder. And she's like, well, it's it's a matter of state, so it's not murder. But in her heart, she still feels. She feels it is murder. Yeah. yeah. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's by uh, Leto, uh, Duke Leto. The day the flesh shapes and the flesh the day shapes. Uh it didn't really pertain to too much in the book, but I just thought that was a really good saying. Yeah, it's a good, it's I was a good like, saying. that's a good way to remember how you make the day or the day can make you, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my final quote is also by Leto, uh, and it's, Ultimately, trust is a matter of perception and detection of small and large things, parts that add up to a whole. In deciding whether or not to trust, judgment is usually visceral and rarely based on strict evidence. Oh, good quotes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. Cool. I like it. There we go. And wh- and what did you find, Scott? So I have a I have a couple here. I did. I think I picked more than three, but they aren't very long. Uh, uh, I know. I'm just <laughs> ruining it. So the first one is for conversations uh, with Modi uh, by the Princess Ar- Irulan. Right? No one is ever completely forced into his position in life. We all have opportunities to take different paths. And I think that that's kind of a Confucius style saying. I like it. Um, really then Sunni postulate: sometimes the best way to search is to be found. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that that happened. And they said something similar to that. Another, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. The greatest obligation of a mother, and I think of Jessica in this one. This is by Lady, Lady Jessica, Duchess of Caledon. The greatest obligation of a mother is to support her children, to show them love and respect. And to accept them, sometimes this is the most difficult task. You know, I would add to that uh, letting them go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so two more here. The next one is by Renvar the Magnificent, the jongleur. <laughs> um, our most effective costumes are the assumptions and preconceptions the audience has about us. And I thought that was great. Like, one and we didn't talk about this, but the scenes where the jonglers come out, stand on stage, and all they do is stand there, and yeah. they 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 totally pull the wool over the audience's eyes, and the audience thinks they have seen something great, and Paul's are like, "You guys are just standing there." Yeah. It's like totally plays into this quote. So, yeah, I, that's another scene I really liked. The, the yeah, that was about. good, and I did like mm-hmm. the jonglers a lot, like especially when you get into like that. And the last one's by Gurney Halleck, the unfinished songs. It is said that one can neither play nor hear the true beauty of music without first having experienced considerable pain. Alas, that may be why I find music to be so sweet. 
And what makes this quote so awesome is knowing the backstory of Gurney and having read it in the Brian K. and Jevin, the the Kevin J. Anderson and the the Brian Herbert books. You mean the Brian K. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever, (laughs) whatever. But but those are my quotes, Jim. Okay. And uh, that last one really strikes a chord with me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> only if you're playing a lute but <laughs> no 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 a- actually actually it it is i can really really see this uh throughout music history the the pain that composers went through in order to produce what they did produce the beauty that they did so yeah, yeah I can, absolutely i can completely understand that Okay, my quotes, uh, we have a political maxim recalled by Jessica right after she arrives at Arakeen, and it is, the quality of government can be measured by counting the number of its prison cells built to hold its dissidents. Oh, that was a good quote. I think that's the chapter (laughs) where she's like, all of the underground of Arakeen is prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen that throughout history, too. Yeah. And then uh, Enzin, on being not noticed on the highliners to Paul and Bronzo, he says, the powerful are often blind to those they believe to be insignificant. Right. Yeah. That's a great quote. And sometimes sometimes they can be the most dangerous. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then finally, uh, Conversations with Muad'Dib by Irulan. Alas, history can be rewritten according to political agendas, but in the end, facts remain facts. Yeah. 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 But how do you know what the real facts are? That's when I read that, that's what I thought. You don't read, you don't read the government histories, obviously. You know, (laughs) well, you know something? I can, I'm going to pull in a quote from uh, the Babylon Project podcast and tell you that Kosh said, the truth is a three-edged sword. Uh, Meaning, of course, there's one side and the other side, one edge, the other edge, and then the truth edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yep, absolutely. And those are my quotes. Great. No, well, they're great, well, good quotes. Let's move on to our rating of the Winds of Doom. Yeah, preparing to wrap up the show here. Yeah, and Roland gave it a ten out of five, you know, a ten out of five. Of obviously, I mean, ten out of five. <laughs> during this whole show, during the chat room, he's just going on. And yeah, on he's and like on. more, more wins of Dune, more wins of Dune yeah. sequel. Winds Come of on, Dune bring, two. bring it on, Coriolis storms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's gonna hate us. Never listen to the podcast again. But, uh, uh, ratings. Start, start with uh, start with Jim. Jim rating. Okay, uh, as I said, now I didn't hate this book. I just didn't feel it was as good as some of the others I've read. So I'm going to give this uh, a three point five. No, yeah, three point five. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, right. I thought it might a little bit be a little bit worse for you, but good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's yeah. let's hear from you, Scott. You want to hear from me? I this this book this book gets. Uh, Hmm. 
I think this book has to be like 4.25 okay. out of 5. It was a good book. Not as good as some of the other books I read, but it was good. I enjoyed it. It definitely deserves a 4 rating for me. And uh, 4.25 is going to be uh, is going to be my stamp of approval on this. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, remember I told you about that scene with Jessica and Irulan uh, and how that like won me over. When I read that scene, in my mind, I said, this is what I'm reading the book. Like, I'm here. And then the rest of the book was just like, is it going to change? Is it going to change? Is it going to change? And then I ended the book and I was like, no, I feel like that's where I want to put it. But other people are going to have a problem with that. And I'm going to give it a five out of five. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. I, this book had everything that I wanted to learn about that I hadn't heard about before. It really did a good job of giving you the backstory of, of all these other storylines and the Frank Herbert universe and some of the other storylines we've been following. Right. It kind of like answered these questions. I agree. Yeah. And, and to me having, I mean, maybe if I was reading for this for the first time, uh, like, and not had read anything else, I mean, it's hard to be objective to this. This is the first time I've read this book at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having read the whole series, uh, other than this and like one other book, you know, it's, this had all the things that I've always been missing in the book. Uh, is it the most literary perfect book? No, probably not. But did it, did it get me excited at a f- five out of five level? Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently it did. Apparently. Apparently it did. So there we go. So then, so send your hate mail to <laughs> Roland Smoker at RolandSmoker.com. <laughs> Poor Roland. <laughs> but David, okay, what are you gonna David, say, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you, do you feel that this book maybe brought closure to Paul's story and opened the way for the children? Yeah. I think. Well, I think this gives a lot of closure to... Yeah, uh, just a lot of the loose ends of Dune Messiah. It's like this book felt, like I said earlier, is a better sequel than Dune Messiah is to Dune or or Paul of Dune is to Dune. I mean, Paul of Dune was okay, whatever. Dune Messiah was, I don't know, we, we, I think I gave it a pretty low rating. Um, in, in a way, this but, book does answer some of the things in Dune Messiah too. So we can't just we can't discount Dune Messiah right. as a sequel, but it's just uh, it, it's, it, it's 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 a it's a more fun book. Yeah, definitely, it, it's a sequel to to Dune Messiah, and it, yeah. and it wraps up some of the things in there that I was a little discontented and not having had. You know, what happens to the Empire after he's gone? I mean, otherwise. You go to Children of Dune, and it's 16 years later. Right. And it's just like, hmm. I mean, it works. But at the same time, you're like, well, I wonder, like, you don't have to know, but what happened? Right. You know, and here we get, like, the immediate aftermath, and it works yeah. it works nicely with that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Hmm. So you mentioned Children of Dune. What are we looking forward to as we uh, go forward in Children of Dune? I am looking forward to seeing the character development and these characters that we've built up. Over the last, what, eight books? Yeah. Uh, or seven books. So, you know, basically like Alia, uh, Jessica, Irulan, Gurney Stilgar, like Duncan even. Like, how are the things that we've seen them now going to change the perception that I had the first time I read the book? Mm-hmm. So, how about yourself, Jim? 
I am looking forward to uh, seeing, as you say, the growth of the characters, but especially what role Irulan winds up with and and what happens with Alia. Yeah. I think in, in, if I were to predict, I would say Alia is probably going to burn herself out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And you see that, like I was saying that, like... A, you see hints uh, of that, yeah. Yeah, of her becoming obsessed with small things. Yeah. You know, yeah. how that can be detrimental to med- your own health as well as an empire. You know, we're given mm-hmm. uh, insight into these twins, and um, just a little bit at the end of Messiah, and then a little bit in this book. And we didn't really talk about them, because they weren't really central players in this no. book. But the little bit of communication they have with each other, we're talking about 16 years in the future, Twins obviously have to play. I mean, we're talking children of Dune, right? This has to play in to be the core part. I'm interested in seeing their development, um, how they handle uh, their 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 aunt's lust for power, yeah. uh, and just to see how that all plays out. That that's really one of the things that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. And I think the role. Hey, Dave, in, go ahead, David. I was going to say Roland asked you a direct question i was yeah, gonna, i was, was going to say that too like roland roland a good question roland's asking you was this book better than dune absolutely not yeah absolutely not no i would not say that this book is is better than dune i will say that i enjoyed it to the maximum capacity that i i would expect to get out of the book right and that's why i'm giving it the 5 out of 5 right so now you know like like we i'm doing this on a book by book right so that's why i'm getting if you if you do like if you're stacking up all the books this book probably would not if there's only if there can only be one five we're probably looking at dune being the five and everything else kind of trickling out well for me god emperor is five okay god god emperor of dude right yeah but uh, but as far as enjoyment goes, that's kind of where you're coming from. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. right now in this moment in reading the book, five out of five, that's what I think of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we did have a poll last time, yeah. and we do have the results. If you yeah. didn't vote, well, I guess you can still go on to vote until David changes the poll. But uh, <laughs> here's kind of where it head out. The question was put out. I believe Roland came up with this question, mm. right? It, yeah. In the quest to take over the universe – which would you rather be the head of? And the and the options were religion, military, and government. Yeah. And um, religion won out. Yeah, 40, 44% for religion. Yeah. 31 for military and 24 for government. Where did you vote, Jim? I voted for military. Okay. Scott? I voted government. I voted for government as well. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> yeah, I want to be government, uh, and because uh, government kind of controls military, right? Mm-hmm. In well, my opinion, so, sort of. I, I guess mean, it depends. Any one of these can overthrow the other two. Right, right. So yeah. that's. I just like enjoy a- carrying out policy. Yeah, <laughs> I think we should like. I think there's probably a board game that deals with this. Like, if only, <laughs> if only, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone should create a board game yeah. about doing it and having a here's the religion, military, government, a mod for civilization. Yeah. 
So anyways, uh, we do have our next poll question. And the next poll question, this is again is from Roland. Yeah. If you don't know, Roland uh, helps us by making these polls pretty yeah, much every month. Absolutely. So. We uh, rarely come up with them. We're not that in- ingenious. but <laughs> So kudos to uh, Roland that. But he wrote a little note at the beginning of this. So I'm just going to read the note. And then we'll read the poll. And probably won't read through quite all the names. But uh, Roland said, I found it fitting that we read this book predominantly about women in October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So, this is very good planning by you guys. Uh, totally unintentional on our part. So, yeah. Thanks for giving us credit. But, um, um, so, I thought we could use a very topical survey question. Throughout the series so far, from the Butler and Jihad to Winds of Dune chronologically, which major female character do you find the most fascinating? And some of them are, what is it? Uh, Hecate. Yeah. Hey, no, Hikari, Hikari, sorry. Uh, Serena Butler, Norma Senva, Zufa Senva, Raina Butler, Raquela Berto. Who is it, Raquel? I don't remember. Raquel Berto Anaril. Who's that? Um, she started the, um, the sisterhood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Uh, Lady Helena, Lady Helena, Atreides, uh, well, Kalia Vernis. Kalia Vernis. Yep. Gaius Helen Mohayam, Lady Anaril Carino. Lady Margot Fendering, Lady Jessica, Tessia Vernius, uh, Cheney, Princess Irulan, and Aaliyah. Yeah, and now we should note that this excludes the Schools of Dune books. Right, right. Uh, since we haven't read them. So this is chronological order, best female character, but one you found the most fascinating that in the books that we have read so right. far. Yeah, absolutely. So this, so this poll will be up online. Be looking for it at dunesagapodcast.com. Yeah, on any... Uh, one of our posts, you'll find yep, it at the bottom. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Well, it's about time to wrap things up here. Yeah, um, we're going long tonight. Yeah, we just want to remind you that we do do a listener feedback show. We do. And we love to hear what you've got to say about Dune, about us, about Jim's love for the loot. Uh, Whatever. Yeah, anything <laughs> except for the hate mail for Roland. We gave you that email address. All yeah, time. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, schmuck, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can email your thoughts on this book, our next book, which is Children of Dune, or anything else to dunesagapodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us via our social, via our social media at facebook.com slash dunesagapodcast, uh, twitter.com slash dunesagapodcast. And you can call our voicemail or email us a voicemail. And the number for our voicemail is? Uh, 1260577 chat. That's 1260577 Uh, don't forget that we do do our show live. So you can join in the chat room. We've had a couple of you in there tonight, uh, watching us now. Uh, we have a calendar on the dunesagapodcast.com website. It says when we will be recording live again. Those times are Eastern Standard Time. So, uh, you can go ahead and, and join in the fun that way. Also, and one speaking final thing. of calendar, David, yes. speaking of calendar, are we not forgetting that this show is now a year old? I know. I thought yeah. about that. I was like, yeah. was November? Or was it? Was it October our first show? November? I think October was our first show. Was it? Maybe it was an introduction I thought, show. I the thought fir- it was November, but well, but I this think is that- show number. I agree with you. I think, but didn't we? We may have done a little teaser saying, "Here's what we're doing. You join us, or uh, I don't know." Oh, David, yeah. David's looking I'm it up looking right it now. Up. I'm looking You're it up. Right. But we're about a year old. Is- a year old going through the books. Yeah. Yeah. It's show number twelve. Yeah. We should have broke out the champagne tonight. I know. 
Uh, I David, I would have enjoyed it, and you could have enjoyed it virtually, Jim. We could have showed you a picture of it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, uh, if you know, we're a year old now. We've got at least a year to go. Uh, at least. To, to finish up. Um, if you would like to help keep the show going, one of the great ways to do that is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dune Saga Cop. Dune Saga Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And what Patreon is, is a great way for people to support uh, the arts and people making creative content out there. Uh, We do a monthly subscription. You can do a dollar a month or whatever you feel. Uh, And there's different levels of uh, membership that you can do. And each comes with a different type of um, reward system. You know, the more we have, the more rewards. So, uh, if you'd like to keep us going, we would appreciate the assistance, and uh, thank you very much. Of course, we'll never charge you for the show. This is purely just uh, if you feel like uh, contributing. Right. So, uh, did you find out when we uh, aired our first episode? Uh, no, I was talking. All right. That's all right. Did you? No, I didn't. But I just lost the uh, chat room somewhere. I don't know what happened to it. Good. Yeah. on, the internet went goofy. No, it's just still, they're still here. But anyways... Well, we should uh, wrap up the Roland, show, shouldn't we? Roland chimed in. 11-18-2013 was the Butlerian Jihad episode. 11-18. Well, okay, so we are just about a year old. It's the day before my actual birthday. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, so once more for the Dune Saga podcast, my name is David Moulton. And I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And may Shai Hulud clear the path before you. <laughs>